So there's a question someone asked, but I left it in my room, but I remember it. And that question is, what clings? Would you like to answer? (laughs) (laughs) Or not? Um, Well, what clings? Mm. Craving clings. (laughs) What craves? Ignorance craves, <laughs> what clings, what adheres, why, yeah. mm. it's a question but it's really, you know, you say chitta clings, but, but it's uh, the actual clinging property is the ignorant craving, so it's uh, sort of trying to, craving, trying to find, complete, hold, have, gain, become, defend, protect, you know, so and so that, whatever you put it, karma, tanha, sense craving, bhava, tanha, craving for solidity to become something, vibhava, tanha, craving to annihilate, avoid, escape, not be anything, not meet anything. Mm how, and that's, uh, so this is this kind of reflex. Um, what is that reflex based upon? Not being in touch, not knowing, not, not apprehending, not dwelling in, you know, in the deathless or not having access. So that's what sets it all up, Vijaya Pacheya, Sankara, Sankara Pacheya, Vinyana, Vinyana Pacheya, Nama Rupa, Nama Rupa Pacheya, Salayatana, so it goes through the cycle. And so dependent upon not knowing, obscuration, obscurity, uh, lack of gnosis, lack of penetration, there is this activations. Mm. Activations arise. Mm. Chitta is activated. Uh, yeah. Activated, that plays out in terms of the manifold sense consciousness, six bases. It's looking for something in there, it establishes that. Thoughts, mm. mm. feeling. And so it's that. that Ignites mm. craving, mm. thirst, thirst, thirst. So there's adherence mm. to what what can be um, apprehended, and unfortunately, what can be apprehended is inconstant, changeable, uncertain, impermanent not satisfying. (laughs) Therefore it does that. (laughs) Around that movement, the sense of an identity. An identity, so it's not that I cling. Clinging generates an I am. And so the, the I am formation 
depends upon this reflex. So it's not like you've got to stop clinging. That doesn't work. Then you cling to an idea that you should be someone who doesn't cling or get rid of it. So it's to be fully deeply understood, the mechanism. That's how we contemplate what is this I am dependent upon. Volitions, I'm an agent who can affect things. I'm someone who's impacted by things. I'm someone who dwells within a realm of sense consciousness. Explore those. They don't add up. If I'm the agent, how come I can't actually have effective agency? That is, all kinds of impulses arise that I can't fulfill. Some impulses arise that actually are really pretty shocking. <laughs> and I don't, you know, some impulses arise that are completely erratic. So the activations aren't, you know, they're not under my control. So what kind of an agent is that? So the sense of self as being an agent. It's a very incompetent agent. <laughs> it's very erratic. You know. So, but there is agency. So take, take this phantasmagorical sense of identity out of that. So put it to one side. Who knows who it is? But we know that. We know this agency. So it's just, so, so when you take the I am out of it, less intensity of, of reaction to that. This is this. So then that quality of steadiness, disidentification, it can be a cooling of, a, of the agency. And the chitta begins to sense it's better this way than that way. Better this way, better to let go of that, better to lift up that way. So the realignment. If I am the one who's impacted by experience, I am the one who's being hit by experience. And you say, well, which experience? Which experience? And you, the things that don't impact us. I mean, it's very partial what we're impacted by. It's kind of, you know, memories pop up. You know, thoughts happen. Sudden, you know, impact happens. And who's this permanent entity they're happening to? It's just the, the shock or contact. Contact happens. Impacted contact happens. That's true. Mm. But the I am about it is fallacy. Yeah. Dwelling within the sense of you know, the, the consciousnesses. So I am the seer. Okay, I'm the one who sees. What happens when your eyes close? Are you the one who sees? No. So what happened to the seer when your eyes are closed? It became the listener. Okay, you're the listener then. But the listener is in a different position than the, than the seer. The seer there. The hearer, the listener. Okay, let's close the ears. I'm the touched. That being which is touched. That being which is touched, if you feel it, is a different being than the one who, who sees. We kind of 
deduce they're the same, but actually their experience is rather different. The touched one is much more vulnerable, much more sensitive than the seer. So, and it's always only arises dependent upon those particular realms of consciousness. So, it's not an independent self, is it? It's a formation that arises dependent upon different levels of different realms of consciousness. You know? And even say, you know, not just sense consciousness, but even mind consciousness, you get different levels of mind consciousness, different stations of it. The angry me, the happy me, the meditating me, the composed me. There's a lot of me's there, and they don't seem to add up <laughs> because they're all dependently arisen upon, upon consciousness. So we can say, yes, there's a dependent arising, dependent on consciousness. That doesn't make up for a very convincing permanent self, does it? <laughs> because they're different and they keep shifting and changing. Where's the permanent entity within all that? <laughs> yeah. How the right? So where's the permanent entity? So it's it's always the shuffling that goes on to establish that. So you're just seeing it as it is. And then what is what is who's the clinger? Yeah. Depends where there's a pleasant feeling the clinger arises. Unpleasant feeling the clinger arises. So <laughs> is it the same? It's a mechanism, isn't it? It's a mechanism. So who's the one who does it? You can't find it. But you can find the mechanism. So say just, just stop inferring what you don't need to infer and deal directly with what happens. Deal directly with what happens. It's a very empirical, pragmatic approach. The Buddha doesn't say there's no such thing as a self. He doesn't say there is such a thing as a self. He says there's a condition arising of that experience. You don't need to focus on that, really. You need to focus on the mechanisms that, cause, that generate it, the conditions that generate it. Because in this way, in this way, you'll eliminate suffering. There'll be elimination of suffering. So you might say, well, who suffers? Well, I'll tell you who suffers. I'll drop a hammer on your toe. You'll find out. They <laughs> 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 won't ask these silly questions anymore. <laughs> enough on clear. <laughs> 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 I could say something I'm not going <laughs> next one yeah. dear Laura you mentioned moving back and forth between the path and the world could you talk a little bit more about your experience well I think that example that I gave as we practice we can see how subjective what we take the world to be is seems seems to be a certain way but when we inquire into it that perception can change so I think it's valuable to check our assumptions or bring awareness to our assumptions
our beliefs about who someone is or what a system is. Recognize what we overlook in terms of what we're assuming to be the case. Do it so much about our own minds, our own hearts, our own bodies. So the path I see is really the qualities, the practices the Buddha suggested and trying them out as we have been doing in relationship to our experience of the world. And it's sort of approaching it like a, a process of discovery and learning. It's a learning experience. And how valuable it is not to think it's all about the world and the state of the world and just be depending on that. There's a sutta, it's a very profound sutta, but so perhaps a simple apprehension of it, but uh, it's where the Buddha talks. He gives this phrase, uh, those who see that things arise can't deny that they exist sense of the world and the experience, experiencing that we, we connect with in, in the moment and those who see the changingness or the passing of the world or of things can't assert that it exists and then he went on to say I teach dependent origination I don't teach that the world neither exists or doesn't exist I teach dependent origination. What seems real and substantial. So for myself it's an attitude of respect for what is what is arising. It's not denying the arising, but also not completely believing without endeavouring to understand more that arising. Do you want to add anything to that? No, I don't think so. It's a lovely sutta, the Kachayana Kota Sutta. Um, beautiful. Recommend reading it. It's really quite uh, lovely. What is as he teaches the way at the middle? You can't assert the existence or the non-existence of the world. You say the world arises dependent upon. And um, it goes on, you know, teaches the the way in the middle. This is the middle way. It's a beautiful, kind of lovely, non-positional quality to that middle. It's neither affirmative nor denying. (laughs) And he says, you know, people get caught up in dogmas and doctrines and then they cling to one extreme or the other. The Tathagata teaches the middle, which is um, avoids these extremes. It's this, dependent upon this is this, dependent upon. And with the ceasing of this, is the ceasing of that. Uh, and, and you know, it's just so, so 
pruned, you know, pared down to just you know, that lovely line, you know, all this stuff you don't have to just falls away. And then it's the basis of a whole school of Majyamika philosopher Nagarjuna kind of just did a whole extrapolated a whole school of Buddhism out of that one one sutta. <laughs> Beautiful. Kachayana Gota Sutta in the Sanyuta Nikaya. Uh, lovely, just the, the conciseness of the, of the Buddha. So impeccable. Mm. Okay. What is meant when a person says someone is their teacher? Is it a formal or informal arrangement? Are there differences across traditions? Is it intuitive? Thank you. Hmm. I guess a teacher is the person ignites the faith, ignites the indriya. And of course it could be, you know, I mean, it's a person, but actually it's a particular occasion when a, you know, a voice, an embodied voice ignites the indriya and gets your faith arising. And particularly if that's just happening fairly, you know, regularly on a reliable basis, you think, oh, well, this person clearly is, is a teacher to me, a teacher for me. And that's a heart connection. Uh, these things can be, can be formalized, you know, you can take... Uh, dependence on a teacher which enters a kind of relationship there's a formality of that that can occur in certain situations Mm. Mm. yeah and uh, I think that I completely agree it's that sense of faith yeah gets in gets drawn yeah and often in the beginning of suttas many suttas, there's this description of people drawing near to the Buddha. Mm. You want to come, want to hear more. <laughs> and that being drawn is a first step. And then it can get so taken with placing that with a person. Uh, and then that's something to really be understood. And it's both are needed. It's like there's the faith is evoked and there's feeling the quality of faith in and of itself. And how we I suggest because we're all unique, uh, there's a uniqueness to the process of understanding for each of us because we're all unique, so that how we take Take another's understanding into our, interweaving it with our own understanding. And, uh, yeah, trust what guides us with that, who we're drawn to, and how we hold that relationship, or the teachings, or you know whatever nourishes us. Yeah. So we've got a quote here, nice quote. Dear Arjan and Laura. Regarding the comment earlier about two being the most elemental unit, reminded me of this short poem 
The one without second is emptiness. The other one makes it true. Rabindranath Tagore. <laughs> what? <laughs> the Rabindranath Tagore. Yeah. The one without second is emptiness. The other one makes it true. Okay? The one without... This is Rabindranath Tagore. is a great Bengali mystical poet there it is <laughs> <laughs> I think it's about the witness the wit the beings the seeing no. dear teachers can you please speak about how we can skillfully help others in our lives particularly in learning to slow down and be more present for their lives Well, <laughs> depends on relationship. You know, if there's an opening, it's not always possible to. I think whenever one gets into this sense of how to make something happen for another person, it gets quite tentative. You know, the opening, mm. how to help others. You know, there's certain times when there's an availability. And you can't predict that, like the person probably I'd most like to have helped was my mother. Nope. My brother? Nope. My nieces? Nope. My father? Nope. <laughs> wasn't the one didn't try, they just there wasn't an opening. And uh, so, or maybe there was, but they didn't let on. <laughs> but, you know, it's... Uh, you know, the person is a bit of a mystery. The chitta is the reality. And uh, the chitta has a certain mission or specific quality. And sometimes it's just not ready at this time, available at this time. What can you do? Well, you maintain empathy. Uh, maintain empathy. Maintain connection. Uh, and see what opening is possible. If you live your own path and practice properly, impeccably, with integrity, those who can pick it up, those who can see it, will see it, will pick it up. That's as good as you can get, really. <laughs> but like even Sariputta, the great Arahant, you know, I think mothers are, mothers are just difficult, really. <laughs> no, he didn't say that, but he, <laughs> he knew he was about to, he knew his death day was coming, so he thought, I'd better go home and see my mum, you know, see if I can kind of, you know, give her something before I pass away. So her mum comes, he goes to his mother, Oh, this scruffy old monk, you know, you've been all this time, you scruffy old rag robe wearer, you're coming home for a decent meal, you know, so he says, you know, <laughs> kind of thing, one of your shape up kind of stuff. <laughs> so she wasn't ready. So she was kind of into the Brahma, Brahma deity. She was a kind of Brahma worshipper. And so the 
sorry Puta, he's there, okay, so he's really getting near his death, so he's kind of lying down, ready to die, and then all his Brahma deities come down to visit him. And his mom goes, whoa. (laughs) 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 Whoa, look, Brahma deities are going to visit my son, my son. (laughs) Suddenly there's an opening, you know. (laughs) Time was right. (laughs) Got any response to that? For myself with this, I think the main thing that's helpful is feeling that movement to help or that urge to help and what's driving that, you know. So I don't want this person I care about to suffer, which is valid and listening to what's true in that movement, what's possible. But there's a certain point where it's not very helpful, if you're suffering, it's not very helpful <laughs> people around who don't want you to suffer. Not to blame that, but uh, it's this thing about, and I'm, you know, I very much have this myself, of uh, that wanting, of not wanting people to suffer. But when I, I went through an illness, and uh, I could feel that with people who were with me didn't want me to suffer but I wasn't actually suffering so much as they feared I was it's like the the belief was actually obscuring well I was suffering but actually not in the way they that sometimes was assumed so it's quite refreshing to be with people someone who could be quite light about it or not to play it down, but just more comfortable with it in a way, could let it be that way. Yeah. Mm. But Even the Buddha couldn't turn everybody on. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he tried to help his own family and stop family. them killing each other. And mm. <sighs> <laughs> so, actually, trust and honor those longings of our heart actually. Not, it's not about getting rid of the wanting but just understanding the, the drives, what's driving that and moving that. Because otherwise, you know, I, I constantly balancing my energy levels. I'm not good to anybody if I'm exhausted. I'm constantly on life's journey to balance that for me. To, yeah. How to let go of regrets and uproot the self. <laughs> <laughs> Just like that. <laughs> no, I don't well, have to put it on huh? to you. Are you okay with that? Well, yes, I mean, there's things one can say, yeah. but... Um, what is regret? Mm, remorse, regret. Mm. You know, when there's remorse or regret, then, then it's stuck. A sense of a self, flawed, imperfect, 
idiot, foolish self arises dependent upon that stuck memory, that stuck, uh, uh, yeah, that stuck memory. So the memory, the regret has to be released. And this means that one returns, one cultivates, one returns to try to get specific. So it's not just this nebulous, sort of nebulous, nagging feeling of inadequacy, you know, trying to get specific about it. What particular thing do you have that regret around? It could be valid, it could be invalid, but there it is, you know. You could try, oh, well, everybody does that, but that, that doesn't push it away so it's not like that then you really return to that and try to locate okay what was the specific problem there or specific well there's a lack of empathy there was indifference there was um, reactivity so these particular behaviors the chitta reacted or dismissed or manipulated and that was not good, not good, not not beautiful, uh, not wholesome. And so returning to that, so then we can we learn, learn what triggered that. You know? And again, your memory is often very, very uh, flawed because we can always get a, a seemingly accurate picture, but the memory is not accurate at all. But the regret, the shadow, or some of the shadow generates the memory. <laughs> and so really the, the, uh, you know, the final thing is this kind of quality of the Brahma Vihara. Yeah. So towards this citta, towards the cittas of others, um, you know, goodwill opening the heart and, and experiencing dissonance failure, uh, discord, and then compassion, this one, that one. And, you know, if one does find one feels episodes that one's rehearsing in one's mind or repeating one's mind, then you should, however much a fallacy it is, then, you, you know, one way is just to return to it and the being you feel you've harmed or hurt, what that forms as, and then this is what you, you know, compassion, both ways, this way, that way. So we replace that contracted closure, which is uh, the regret experience, there's a a closure. And the chitta does that to sort of shield itself from the uncomfortable feeling because it locks the uncomfortable feeling in. So it's much better to just open out. And um, it's what we call confession. Um, opening out that experience. So then the heart that's open has a lot more resources to bring forth the metta karuna qualities. And that's what you you suffuse um, through the whole of that episode or that memory. Mm. Mm. Really, you know, it's how you clear the self out of the mind I see, but you know, I think we've touched into it really. It's, it's acknowledging the dependent arising of it, which forms around a certain intensification. 
So there's something unskillful, there's an intensification of, oh my goodness, and reactivity. You know, so can we see unskillful action, or we, we feel it's unskillful, okay, and there's less identification with it. So we don't really get rid of a self. What we do is begin to work on how identification happens, how identification happens, and the clinging, uh, which isn't clinging because one likes something, not that kind of, you know, it's not just we attach to what we like. No, it's not what we like. There's a mechanism that collects around where there's intensification of feeling, uh, pleasant or unpleasant. That, yeah, there's an intensification. So we've got to actually open to unpleasant feeling and pleasant feeling as feeling, as feeling that moves. Mm. and the perceptions that it generates and the self-impressions it generates so the more that you can open to that uh, and then the detachment or disengagement we're not trying to prove ourselves change ourselves explain ourselves become something different we're just stepping back from that mind can open and in dispassion one is less activated by it because we begin to experience the sense of steadiness and and you know compassion that comes with that the dispassion things cool down and there's a possibility to relinquish you know the unbearable mm. as the heart opens it's like you have a thorn stuck in your in your body the heart closes around it to somehow try and defend itself from it it doesn't, it sticks it in if you keep oh why is this thing here how can I get rid of this thing something wrong with me, I shouldn't have this thing stuck in me who did it anyway, why was it that way and shouldn't be another way and I can't, trying the best I can to, oh forget about it there you go Open, open them. Oh. <laughs> it can drop out. That's that's the way one uh, cultivates. Mm. Thinking about in relation to this, the benefit of hindsight. You know, looking back, it's like we assume we should have been able to know then what we know now. (laughs) It's not a fair assumption. If we'd known it then, we would have done it then. (laughs) And I, I just want to say about regret and conscientiousness and And how they can, uh, you know, regret can have this pain of grief. And conscientiousness can have a feeling it's more like sobering or cooling even. It's got a different feeling. It's almost like we, we, we are aligning and there's this 
sense of in, uh, our inherent goodness, not, our, not an inherent wrongness. So, yeah. Dear teachers, could you kindly offer some reflections on the distinction between taking ownership of karma, a good thing, and clinging to everything else, a bad thing? It would seem the task of clearing karma may offer some redemption for the arising of an otherwise problematic self. Thank you. So, what comes to mind? Two things is one, there's a learning. You see that there's this potential to learn about what nourishes us and what doesn't nourish the chitta. So there's this lovely uh, image the Buddha gave of the king, it's a king and then there's two cooks. One of them prepares different dishes for the king and he watches by the door what the king eats and what he leaves. And then the second cook does the same thing, he cooks different dishes for the king but he doesn't watch what the king eats. And then Buddha goes on to say that these two cooks are like two salmoners, two practitioners. And they're both practicing the four foundations of mindfulness. Supplying, they're both cooking the meal. But one of them isn't checking what's the effect of the food on the heart. So it's like we have this possibility of this process of learning and, and discovering what actually nourishes us and how to go towards that what we have faith in yeah this sense that there's a project it's quite hard to shift from that view that there's a there's a something that needs to be fixed and it's a it's a view that kind of, and probably maybe not what the person is saying but it's helpful to notice that orientation because it kind of it gets in the way of the process of uh, the Dharma qualities influencing the, the conditioned level. Do you want to add anything? Yeah, well... Well, the term karma refers to really two, two aspects. One's called old karma, which is the inheritance, called literally vipaka karma, the inheritance of actions, past actions. And the other is called karma, which means the fresh action. Yeah. So there's inheritance of past actions. Um, and even mm, being involved in other people's actions. So sometimes you inherit social karma, group karma. Um, so this is inheritance. And the Buddha said, if you're trying to clear this up, you're going to be here forever. <laughs> you know, it's like, 
just because there's huge possibilities. Yeah, so, in a way, that I am owner to my calm. It's a it's a way of translating it, but it does mean I have to uh, um, acknowledge that that inheritance, acknowledge the power of it. Because if I acknowledge it, the chances are I got I can be wary and study it and see the reactions that would call fresh karma. So, you know, I've got all this sense of inadequacy or guilt or something from past deeds. And then I get sort of fresh karma as I start to get addicted to something in order to forget it. Or I'm compulsively driven to avoid that discomfort. So on, so on. So, you, so what can occur, you can't clear past karma as such. What can occur is not creating further dependent upon that. And that's quite actually, that's a that's a manageable package. <laughs> yeah. So if it doesn't react to it, doesn't keep acting upon it, doesn't shield oneself from it, doesn't get these, just that's, that's the inheritance, that's what's there, then there's an increasing sense of uh, dispassion, because we're not reactive. There's an increasing sense of dispassion. The mind begins to move out from the karmic domain. So the, the citta can withdraw from the karmic domain because there's no longer any fire, there's no longer any fuel to keep the thing running. You know, it's been seen, acknowledged, understood, and whatever it takes to, to not link further action on it, you've got this wheel, cause and effect, cause and effect, cause and effect. Old karma triggering fresh karma Okay, so where does karma end? Where does fresh karma not take hold? Put it that way. It's not like trying to rub something out. It's just where and how does it not take hold? (laughs) Where does the spark not land? (laughs) Where does the wood not flare up? How does that happen? Well, briefly speaking, very briefly speaking, when there's no identification, that's putting it very briefly. When there's no clinging, that's putting it, again, quite concisely. Yeah. Uh, when there's a clear seeing, an acknowledgement, and a sense of, this was actions. Actions, reactions, there's no self in this. There's no self to get out of it. Yeah. And these are just terms you can contemplate you know, because I'm just using words now, but that sense of the, there's a the chitta is no longer in that triggered mode. This is a possibility. The uh, the chitta can rise or open out of the karmic domain, and that really is the project. <laughs> yeah, the big project. Uh, and it's possible. And we might see that in certain senses, we might note that, you know, we might notice, oh, that particular thing, yes, I, that's true, it doesn't get me. I've, I've done, I've finished the conversation with that. I've, it's, 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 the fire's gone out on that one. We can notice this in certain specific uh, um, circumstances or pieces of history. 
you know, I hope you can anyway. So, mm. I mean, I remember the Dalai Lama, somebody said, have you ever done anything wrong that you regret? He said, yes. Does it bother you? No. <laughs> you know, I can remember it, but the memory doesn't jump on me. You know, if I've cast my mind back, I can say, oh yes, that was that, that. But it doesn't, the fire's gone out. It doesn't jump on me. It doesn't flare up. It doesn't haunt me. That's, so it's, you know, the spark, the fire's gone out. And so then, you know, that's a sort of specific incident in the sense of then what he's referring to. Are we not aware of it? Yeah, I'm aware of it. Um, did it happen? Yeah. Have you... <laughs> the fire's gone out. So there's that. And that's the image that's often used. The fire's gone out. And they say, which way did it go? There's <laughs> no answer to that. Where did the chitta go? You can't answer that because it, 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 it's gone out. Where does the wind go when it drops? You can't answer that. But it can be experienced. So karma and the end of karma is another synoptic phrase to summarize what the Buddha taught. I teach karma and the end of karma. Or the non-arising of karma. And uh, if you're around tomorrow, I'll give you a book on it. <laughs> but the most important thing is to, to really uh, practice it. So when we come here, naturally, you know, because we're not doing a lot of new stuff, and one of the reasons to come on retreat is just to kind of be held in a way you can't quite follow your own, not only the sense contact, but your own patterns. You know, like, no, you, you get up at this time, you eat this time. You, so it's that, so in a way you're refraining from, you know, following the normal personal habits. They're not wrong, but it's a sense of just being able to come off track. And what this does, apart from anything else, renunciation, it means all the, the past karma, you know, comes in what you need to be sensitive to. Mm. Like, you know, a locomotive pulling a load of carriages and then it stops and the carriages go thud, 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 thud. <laughs> so, you know, the old, you know, what hasn't been resolved arrives. You think, okay. And then this is what we need the tools and resources to, to um, this is on the agenda. Mm. And it's that, what it takes to take the pang, the, the swirling, the distress, the struggling out of that, till it's seen clearly, acknowledged, seen with right view, held with compassion, held with faith. Mindfulness exerts authority over it. Wisdom sees this is not self. And that's, that's the way the Indriya work in karma. Enough for the night.